Good evening and welcome to the Pirates Fan Forum here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. I'm your host, Gary Morgan, a little frustrated with technology as we speak, but getting through it as best I can. Um, with me, as always, is a man who is still smiling about Kenny Pickett in black and gold, my co-host, Jim Stam. Jim, how are you doing today, brother? I'm doing good, man. I closed out the season with a win. We went down kind of uh, on a... Last minute uh, decision, beautiful weather, and we got to see the Pirates uh, close it out on a good note. So um, weather's going to be getting colder. We're not going to have too many more days like that. Always nice to see, man. And joining us today is one of my favorite people to talk baseball with. You know him from AT&T Sportsnet and wearing the black and gold himself. He is the Fort Michael McHenry. Fort, welcome to back to the show. People forget you were on this long time ago. And uh, how you doing today, man? I appreciate you first for having me. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's been way too long. I like the work you guys do. Um, and I'm looking forward to diving deep. And you're right, technology. Man. <laughs> how many how many grown adults up. does it take to get to get a uh, meeting that we can record? <laughs> yeah, it's like putting <laughs> the a light bulb line. in. You guys are spinning a ladder and I'm holding it. <laughs> it's a mess. It was terrific. It was, it was almost like watching them stitch the bullpen together at the end of the season, wasn't it? Oh, so. man. All right, let's let's hit the ground running, shall we? I mean, first up, I think we should put a real quick bow on the season. And I mean like lightning quick, boys, because we have all off season to do this. Ain't no reason to cram everything into one. Um I think we only get one night to pick a catcher's brain too. So I don't want to waste a whole lot of time yeah. talking about the entire season. That's right. That's right. Um, so let's start there. I think we should each kind of name one statement that we think kind of sews up 2022 in a nutshell as best you can and then banter about that back and forth a little bit so i'll get it started since i sprung it on you guys and mine is i like the team better now than i did in april that's where i'm gonna leave it so jim how do you feel about that statement yeah i mean on paper, I think you're right. I don't know that, you know, obviously we're not seeing the wins and losses part of it, clearly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I like it better. Um, I guess my comment would be, to wrap it up, it's been slow and arduous and sometimes painstakingly um, uh, incremental at times, it seems, over 162-game season. So, uh, I, I like some things. I really want this offseason to like some more things. That's how I'll leave it. <laughs> Michael, what about you? Uh, thinking grueling optimism, like just painfully grueling moments surrounded with optimism and a little bit of excitement, to be honest, towards the end of the year. Now, that sounds like O'Neill Cruz's call up and rest of his season to me. Exactly. <laughs> because it was grueling optimism, wasn't it? Yeah. As you watched him kind of figure things out at this level and there's still some things that they're going to be a problem sooner than later, 
we kind of all ignored that defense, but how long can we ignore that defense? You know, <laughs> like it's going to become an issue sooner than later, right? Yeah, that's and- a, that's pretty much the whole season to me, though. You're right. It, rolling optimism is a great way to look at it because you fought for every advancement all year. You're you're right, but it was like a civil like you were fighting in the civil war where they're just walking towards each other, just taking bullets and falling down instead of like you know having an outline of strategy where we're attacking, you know, like the art of war, and that's what I'm hoping for. You know, the, the plan in place moving forward. We saw some of that, I guess, fruit come to life, especially yep. around August 30, 30th and on. It seemed like it was a different team. You know, they're running all over the place. The analytics. Uh, with their base running was really good. And you think about all the mistakes they were making, they were able to capitalize even so. I mean, Cruz ran back, forward, back one day and still scored. You know, you watch Bay run on the bases and Key Bryan still in 20. There's a lot of optimism, you know, with athletic ability and where these guys could be in a very quick way. But at the same time, like you're right, like it, it's hard to look at the, the analytics of Cruz being a, a above average defender analytically behind the scenes and then throw a ball 15 feet over Chavis's head. You know, right. it's, it's tough for fans, and I understand that. But for me, the grueling part is not letting them just go out and compete. The protection, the pitch counts, and all these things, like we don't know until we know what a kid's capable of. And that, yeah. that's always tough for me because I played parts of eight seasons, and it, it ended twice with the knee surgery, unexpected because of my genetics. Yeah. And if kids understood or these players understood that, like, you don't know what tomorrow brings. And the reality of it is like you got to fight like hell to, to make sure that you're in that lineup out on that field, no matter what. And I, I think some of the gruelingness was watching, you know, some of our top prospects fight through injuries, not put up good numbers. And everybody's like, oh, are they going to be that good? Blah, blah. Well, <laughs> nobody's told them that they don't have to fight now, fight later. And then up here, they're protecting them here. And it's like, no, 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 let them go. Let's see if they can throw three days in a row. Let's see if I- they can handle this load. Because once we start winning, you can't, you can't try then. You can't figure it out then. So I do. I do doing. like. Yeah, Michael. I do like the the, the analogy you gave of like um, going more of like in attack mode, right? Um, whether that's the philosophy organizationally, from the coaching staff, from the players, um, how how we dictate to the opponents instead of letting everything be dictated to the Pirates right now. Whether it's like you said, pitch counts and what are guys capable of and just letting some of this play out on the field now. And let's just see what we've got moving forward. As I think what, you know, not putting words in your mouth, but that's kind of what I interpreted from what you're saying too. Yeah. You didn't put words in my mouth at all. It was was well said. It's just like at some point, let the guys play. And then that's why they have agents, let the agents protect them. And we're a low budget team. You know, we have to hit the throttle a lot harder than, the LA Dodgers, right? Like we have to do things a little bit different and think a little bit different. I'm not saying like ruin these guys career, but let them set their own limits instead of putting limits on them. And I think seeing that this year was really frustrating for me because I'm watching, I'm like, that's the thing that's going to be different. They're going to be able to quantify if this guy needs an 80, you know, 80 pitch count or 90 or 120. It's like, don't hold him back. Right. Like, does he need a day off? Maybe, maybe not. But like, I watched some some of the matchups. Like guys were getting days off in the days they shouldn't be getting days off, and that was tough for me because I'm like he has no idea that like he matches up well and he's in a funk, but he matches up well against his team. Maybe that gets him out of that funk. So 
all those little things, that's what they're going to have to do moving forward. And I know they will, but why wait? Yeah. Uh, Self-inflicted wounds, I think, was another theme this year. You're right. I mean, and because you're you're talking about um, coaching decisions, and I think we'll we'll touch on more of that after the break here, but coaching decisions are one thing, but the general manager – didn't provide things to help this team either early on. And, you know, the bullpen getting to where it got is a direct reflection of the way they handled the starting pitching early on in the season. So that's for me, systemic failure from the top down, as far as managing a pitching staff, they, they created really the tailspin that happened in the last month and a half of the season or they might've finished a little bit stronger with some of the athletes they had coming up. Well, if but, I, I think, I think I'll, I'll top it off before you go to break is like, if they would have just been transparent with what, what they're doing a little bit more, I think every fan would have been like, okay. And then next year we come in and be like, Hey, you better prove it now. You know, we, we, we right. sat, we watched this. Cause like, that was the problem for me. Like I couldn't figure out why Zach Thomas or Thompson pitched four times in the month of August and crows get destroyed. Underwood's getting destroyed. And uh, DeYoung had had a bad last week. He's getting destroyed. And I'm like, well, tell them what's happening. You know, they're working on things. You know, they're working on his lower half. So they, they obviously have a plan, which is okay with me. He's six eight, and he he has some really cool numbers if you look at him. And he's shown success as a starter on one of the better starting staffs in baseball in Miami. So like, I get it, but like, throw that out there. Like, if you are more transparent and you give more understanding to the fans, I think they'll get behind what's going on, but it's hard to break that mold that's been for so long. It's like, Oh, they're just going to get rid of them when they were free agent. Oh, they're just doing the same old pirate stuff. Like they're not, they're literally not doing the same stuff, especially from the development side. They just have to share it. And some of the stuff they did this year, they put themselves in a terrible spot because they were looking at it, trying to win. Maybe not, not here, not with this guy, not with him. Not okay. We're going to do with him instead of just being like, all right, where are we trying to go? Let's try to figure this out. If someone surprises us, we'll make an adjustment instead of trying to you know, be secretive or, or not explain it all. Like, be straightforward. The, the, Boy, the boys and girls, if you don't come back after this break, <laughs> yeah, 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 it's yeah. on you. It's on <laughs> you because this is the way it's going to be. <laughs> And welcome back to the Pirates Fan Forum here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. Got Jim and the Fort with us, and we are going to start answering some questions for you all. And amongst that, you're going to get a little bit more of the fire that came in the first segment because they're these topics, first of all, interest the hell out of us. Now, Jim and I have been railing on social media about these catchers with their one knee down with runners on base. Now, before you, you go off for it, I already on, saw right. your little segment he, that you did he, on what AT&T. You know, what, Gary, what you don't see right now is he's doing this podcast on one knee right now. So that's, you know. That's <laughs> true. He might I be. got my pitch comment right now, too. <laughs> might be. But we got we got it from our buddy Josh over at Bridge to Bucktober. He asked. He did exclamation points. Fort! He's like, we got to know why these catchers won't get off their knee with runners on base. I got <laughs> I got uh, from P- 
Pittsburgh sports all the time. How does Michael feel about catching on one knee? I, I got it from Douglas Ford. Jim and I have been pounding it too. We don't understand yeah. it. Um, we do, but we, but we don't to an extent. So <laughs> please explain. I guess the first thing is like, I, like, what do you, ex- what do you understand and what do you not understand? And I'll kind of fill in some of those gaps. Cause like, yeah, it drives me insane too. I mean, I understand think, that it increases is the sport and watching balls go to the backstop drives me insane. I, I understand that, that it increases the framing accuracy. It makes it a little easier to pull that ball up into the zone. I get that aspect of it. So with guys not on base, I don't care. But as soon as there's someone on base to me, uh, I just want to go and kick them in the shins. Like, and especially lift, third, <laughs> especially when there's a runner on third. Like you have yeah. one job. You have one job at the end of the day. Nah. And, Michael, I know there's a lot of other things going on when you're catching. But the one thing you cannot let do, you cannot let that ball pass you when there's a runner at third base. Like, so, you know, just uh, go, go, because I'll keep, I'll keep going. So before I, I give you my thought on the actual one knee, Stallings won the gold glove based on his ability to block the ball, not allow 90 feet advancements, especially at third base. So that's how he won the goal glove. His receiving went down, his throwing went down, his blocking went through the roof. And obviously right. he never had a pass ball and his wild pitches just went just completely bottom out. So like first that they signed Perez, right? One of the top 10 blocker, top 10 thrower, top 10 receiver. Neither one of those guys consistently stays on their knees with runners on base. Period. So I don't think the intention for the Pirates was that. I think development system has created that. And guys like Real Muto, guys that can really handle it with their mobility and athleticism, they're not letting balls get by them. It's just we're watching the Pirates do it, right? Like Heineman was pretty good across the board with blocking, receiving, and throwing, even if he was on a knee. But he wasn't always on a knee. But he's really athletic. Now, DeLay, he couldn't move well to the right. So he needed to change – Knees change the way he was doing it. Move as the ball's coming if he's starting on the knee. But if you want to talk about throwing, guys throw better a lot of times, especially from a young level up, because it keeps them close to the ground. And with that knee in the ground, you're more stable. But they should be able to move left and right and understand the situation, the guy they're fate, like guy they're catching. What does he want? And a lot of guys don't care. But if they do, like you have to kind of navigate through that. But at the end of the day. If you can't get it in front of you, especially in that, I always, people say six inches left, six inches right. I always thought about a foot plus left, right. So maybe 15 inches, 15 inches. If I can't get that ball on my knee, I don't need to be down there. If my mobility is not good enough to reach across and hold that, I don't need to be down there. I can fall as I'm catching it. It's what LaCroix did. That's what Stallings does. That's what Real Muto does sometimes. There's a lot of different variables. It's got to be owned by each individual. So See, a couple, I, I have a couple follow-ups there. Yeah, One is I've watched Tony Pena catch. Mm-hmm, right. I've seen him like almost look like he was playing in a sandbox, land down to, get, right. to catch right. the ball and still get up and throw a guy out at second. Right. Unique talent, freak arm. Exactly. Yeah. You yeah, get away I mean, with it. Right. Right. So my follow incredible up, athlete, my follow-up to that before I let Jim go, cause he's going to explode <laughs> is the coaching staff watches this for months. How do they not stop that? Well, I mean, me, like, me I, I get what you're saying about comfort, but right. I'll take it one step further for you. So, like, I, I, I agree, 
And that's where that transparency is really, really important because there's no way, even though they were both, I'm just going to stay with DeLay and Heineman, even though they were both plus receivers, if you added the sum total of strikes to, you know, runs saved comparative to the balls that got past them and runs lost, there's no comparison. I don't even have to look at the numbers. I can tell you right now, there's no comparison because I literally watched, he was a plus, they're both right at a plus two run saved. I watched two games in the last week, two runs scored with a block, right? That's, yeah, game over. We're, we're called equal, right? It started, that's how the game started. So that's the problem with me is like, where's the balance? Like if you can say the receiving, if they let 10 balls go by throughout the year, okay, they're getting 10, you're saying they're getting 10 runs through the receiving, right? Why can't we balance that out a little bit? And biggest thing is a psychological issue for the pitcher. If I don't keep the ball in front of me, with the runner, yeah. you think he's going to make his best pitch? And that's, yeah. that's the number one concern across the board. Receiving doesn't matter. Nothing matters. It's his mind out there that, that matters. If he doesn't believe he can throw a ball, you know, right. 55 feet when he needs to, yeah. there's a problem. And that's the, that's the communication. That's the transparency because I watched some things this year with the pitch counts, and everything else. I think that's why Ortiz didn't pitch well towards the end. He's trying to do more. I think that's why Contreras did pitch good towards the end, even though his numbers were good. He didn't pitch well. And the reason is, is because he got shut down and he was our best pitcher. You guys actually wrote about that. And I think there's a psychological mess that plays in a guy's head because, you know, I came into 2013, think I was a starter. They signed Russell Martin. He took my number and no one called me. You think I tried <laughs> too hard when I came back? Absolutely. Sure. And that's a problem. Like, and nobody ever wanted to address it. AJ Burnett did. A teammate did. And that's where our team got close. And that's the problem with right now is like we're starting to have a team and you want to make sure those guys are taking over. And I think Shelton's great. I think that the coaching staff's great. It's just what's the elements behind the scenes that we don't see with the analytical department and that's being pushed down and why if they can't explain why and take hard questions. That's a problem for the fans. It's a problem for me as a former player and an analyst, because that's what you want to know. Like what's the direction, how quick, what's the goals. If we don't have goals, what, what are we doing? Jim, are you going to explode, or did he answer the knee question for you? Can we move on? No, we can't. We can't move yet, just because, like, he, like I what it. I want. No, <laughs> what no, I, we cannot. <laughs> what I want people to understand too is like, and you and you touched on it, Michael, which is like that absolute trust a pitcher has to have in the guy behind the plate that he doesn't have to think for one second if I break this pitch off and it's in the dirt this guy's going to do what need, needs to be done to make sure that this ball doesn't go more than, you know, that, that foot you're talking about where it does not skip away or get behind there. Like that cannot be part of the equation because like you said, you're, that's affecting what he thinks he can do. And so it's just, I don't know if people understand. I think they know that, Oh, catching's important and, and whatnot, but man, that, that trust has to be there. And it's just a little thing that no one would ever pick up on. But if you're not if you're not in the mindset and doing your job the way it has to be done, it affects so many things on that baseball field. Oh, you're, you're nailing it, and I, I like to compare. I'm really into tactical strategy, and I've got a lot of friends that were in the military. And one thing that like they constantly preach is like you, you want to train for all the things unexpected, but you would really want to expect the best out of every situation. Like it's going to turn out great, but not train that way. So. They need to expect that every single time they throw that, you know, nasty breaking ball, because we have some guys with some nasty stuff in the dirt. It's no problem. Now, the unexpected thing, 
is what like will really make someone say, man, that dude saved my life right there. Just like if you go into a bunker with somebody, you trust the man next to you, you have to. If not, you're going to probably end up in a, in a box. And I'm not, I, I'm not saying it's that extreme, but like right. put that context to it. It's a cool way to look at it in the sense of like, how far are you willing to like really psychologically look at this? Because there is a reality there. You can see it in their face, the trust, right? They yeah. shake off, shake off. Like everyone on the planet knows just throw a breaking ball and he throws a heater and it's a double in the gap. Well, there's, there's a reality to that. Like he was scared sure. to death because he would rather give up the hit and take the chance that maybe he doesn't hit this, then throw the right pitch in the dirt and know he's going to swing at it. Right. And, and I did, and it's one other thing I wanted to mention is I, I stumbled on an article. It was from the nationals and how they are kind of trying to emphasize, like you talked about, which is that hybrid approach to it that, you know, when there are no runners on and you want to be down on one knee and go through, you know, whatever you need to do at that point of the game. Great. But they want guys to be able to be able to do both situationally in games. And I think that's all Gary and I harp on is that with all the analytics we have and everything we pay attention to, we throw that out the window when the guy's on third and you don't yeah. want to just stop the run. That just blows my mind that we're, we're like, that let, focused on numbers. Let me put now, a bow on this subject so we can move on to another question. <laughs> Wait, before, before you say that, here's the, here's the thing. There's no way they're not quantifying it though. And that's the problems. That's the transparency. They're not throwing yeah. it out the window. It's there's a reason and that like, they don't talk about it or maybe that the, it's for the future, but or maybe they just are care. They care about their guys hitting the, you know, the mitt. Yeah, because it doesn't else. make sense from trouble. the outside. It, yeah, if yeah. I can move I'll a guy, right there's no way it can make sense, even if they have a matrix, because just by absolute eye, the, you know, yeah. the eye test tells you exactly what you need to say. If we look at across the board wild pitches, we have to be towards the top. Granted, we had we had rookies, we had a lot of guys learning new stuff. Sure. There's a lot that goes into it, but like same time, like. What's the fix? What's the movement forward? You know, and that's that's really important. If we can move a guy a foot or two in between pitches for statistical advantage in the field, then I think we can stop guys from catching with one leg. So <laughs> <laughs> um, we should probably take another quick break here. We'll come back and do another question. I'm all worked up, man. I got to I got to cool off a little. Ooh, yeah, yeah. I, I got a little sweat going too. A little. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to the Pirates Fan Forum here on DK Pittsburgh Sports. Uh, the behind the scenes is nuts for this episode, by the way. Jim and I are going to be all over the YouTube chat, just 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 dishing. I mean, first, the conversation's been arguably better than what you've listened to, and uh, the technical difficulties have really gotten out of control. And I, I, Eddie is going to have so much fun stitching this together. It's it's exciting. <laughs> So let's do another question here for, for the fort. This is from Douglas Ford. And uh, he says, do you think that Andy and Davis can share the catching duties long-term? Like, even if they have a veteran like Roberto Perez and they only go two times a week. I mean, how do you feel about that? How would that work with their development 
as catchers? Would it impede them ever becoming great catchers? Uh, I don't think so. I, I think if there's a balance there, the, the, the fear is, is you have them doing too many things. Um, if you can say, hey, Davis, you're going to catch and you're going to play right field. Uh, Indy, you're going to play first base and you're going to catch and we'll rotate you through DH. And then you get yeah, a veteran guy to help kind of balance out uh, the game plans, uh, maybe even come in defensively at times if need be, and also allow them to pinch hit if they had a day off. So, like, I see the benefit. I think just having that extra guy on the roster, they should find someone that's a really athletic catcher. You know, we saw what happened this year with Van Meter when, you know, a bad situation happened, he had to go behind the plate. But I, I like that idea. I like the idea of being able to do that. And I'll use a great example. When I was in low A, um, I caught – I don't know, 90 games or so. And then now I'd say 110 games because it was a different era. And, you know, I DH every other, almost played every single game. So not the same, but like if you have two, but we only had two catchers. So like when I DH, I was bullpen DH, bullpen DH. And it was fine. And I think these guys are so young, they can do whatever they want if they just prepare their minds for it. But they need to understand like, hey, you don't have to worry about throwing from left, throwing from right, taking grounders at third, taking grounders at first, and catching bullpens. Too too much, maybe. It's too much. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe athletic. Like, just trust that they can figure it out if you throw them out there, like Little League. You know, you're putting them in there for bat. Be average. Focus on catching. Right. Well, you you mentioned Roberto Perez real quick, so let's touch on him. Um, How important do you think it is – because uh, I think, uh, in my opinion, I think fans tend to gloss over how important it is to maybe have a veteran catcher on the staff for 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 these young pitchers, right? Especially ones of Perez's caliber, and or or a Stallings or something like that. Where are you at on that with him? I'm not asking you to get any predictions whether he's coming back or not, but just how important it is it to to have a guy like that on your staff still? Extremely, I think. You, you kind of look at the elements, catching, infield, um, pitching, and then I'd even say bullpen. Like having a veteran there, especially one with, you know, the pedigree, like Perez or Stallings, also like Jan Gomes, if he's available, I think he'd be a great pickup. He's a friend of okay. mine. Too. Um, but those guys come in, they know what they're supposed to do. They know what they're trying to do. And they're willing to support these young guys. And a lot of them now with Stallings, he's also been in Miami, caught one of the best staffs in baseball. So if he's available, it'd be a great guy to bring back. What are they doing? Why are they doing it? You get all, all that information. I mean, Perez and Jan Gomes, they've been around, did different things. That's how you start to learn and grow within the organization, especially in the clubhouse and the coaching staff. But more importantly, like, yeah, those guys have somebody to lean on. And then you have offensive catchers coming through the system that are literally knocking on the door that you could say, all right, guys, he's going to help here. You have your analytical staff and these guys are going to bring down the player plans. Then you have Perez kind of, sifting through the philosophy, helping with the personality, bridging the gap to these youngsters, it's a it's a huge benefit. Like I, I think if you're not doing that right now, it's silly. Even if he's your 26 man he catches once a week. Yeah. Yeah. I I I I, t- I really do agree with that. I think like to put that pressure on young guys with everything else they have to do to get acclimated and 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 deal with being a major league baseball player. Uh they can go to the the pitchers can go to and uh the knowledge is just i mean you can't replace the knowledge can you the experience and the knowledge no i'll, I'll even take it further i think i was actually talking to a developmental 
somebody in the Pirates development department about, you know, having three pitching, two pitching coaches and then a catcher as the pitching coach staff. And then having a hitting coach, one that's focused on approach, which they kind of they kind of have this, but it's not well. One that's focused on approach, one that's focused on cage, and then one's focused on like the personality of the plan, and then let it play out. Guys are gonna fall in love with different things, but like the reality of it is they need more like voices, they need more questions, they need more people kind of giving their thought and opinion to bounce it around to figure out what's the best play. And we all know like sometimes you're talking to somebody like, man, I just don't like talking to that person that much. <laughs> they, they're yeah. just pouring information into me, but it's just not what I need. It's not Jerry Mills. Like it too much. Huh? That's why Jerry that's Mills. Why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little... like, you know what I mean? Like just thinking outside the box, maybe, maybe you don't know if Prez is going to be healthy. Give him a million bucks and say, just come be with us. Right. Here's okay. another question. Great investment for a Pirates team. Extra Here's coach. another question. This one's from Pirate Queen. Um, and you you know her for you sit over there right across the diamond from her watching her wave the flag out, out there and oh, I love it, yeah. all the way down the left field line. So um what changes do you predict the pitch clock will have on calling pitches and overall behind the plate strategy? What would be your methods to achieve the most effective results with the new time limits? Uh I would make sure my guy is okay. So if if he's a slow guy. I'm figuring out a way to make that clock stop. If he's a fast guy, I'm trying to make that clock mean so much and the hitter's going to panic. I'm always going to find a way to manipulate it to make sure it benefits the guy that's on the mound, period. And that's what anybody should be doing. You know, the first time it started the minor leagues, I went back down. I'd never seen it before. You know, I'd been in the big leagues for six years straight, went back yeah. down, had a pitch clock. Well, as soon as the guy was like, hey, you only have eight seconds, I threw the ball right in the ground. Stop, <laughs> like, whatever, like, completely over his head, like whatever I had to do, you know, like it didn't matter. I didn't even think about things like that. Yeah. No, like, I, it, it, hey. It's like, what, what do you mean we have a time limit? Like, no, like, like you don't, like you don't have enough to worry about. Now you got to, yeah, like, yeah. but like, that's what I tell the pitcher. Don't worry about it. And I, I, I argued with the guy behind the plate. I got thrown out of a game because he called a strike and the pitcher wasn't on the rubber. <laughs> it's just, it just like, they have to be really careful here. Like, if you're going to make these rules, you have to do it with warnings and money. If you affect right. the game, that's a problem for me. Even the even the licking and doing that, the ball, I hate it. Like what, warning, warning, fine. Money talks. What do you think that that's going to do to the hitters though? Are they because I haven't that's read I haven't read any mechanism that stops them from stepping out or you know causing delays of their own. Certainly a pitch clock can't be going and then they jump in the box last second right i mean like how's that work plus you get that darn eyelash in your eye you gotta you know i well, need I'll, some time I'll to get that i'll ask for one question it's always at the office is everybody fiddles with their batting gloves right if anybody out there owns batting gloves like they're really good franklin was the company i went with they're awesome well guess what when my hands start sweating i have to fiddle or like they're actually gonna like shift in my in my hand so yeah. like these guys that are doing that. It's not because some of them have ticks, some of them it's a nervous thing, some of them it's a routine. Yeah, but like a lot of guys, it's just the fact that like that thing starts sliding, the bat moves in your hand. You're already you know at a dis disfavor of actually winning this battle against this guy. Now let's make sure we're more disfavored, and it's my career. 
You know, like, and it, it's it's tough. It's a it's a fine balance they have to. Find. I could say the same thing for every pitcher that wants to go to the rosin bag in between each pitch. Exactly. I mean, like, like, yeah, how do you, it's so many different things and like there's so much. You're exactly right. And that's where I have a problem with is like they're throwing out these blanket rules when like if you really want to do something to help the game, make a make a run rule, right? Uh, allow allow the team at a certain time to be a tie, like because then you're actually protecting players. You're actually saying we care about the players. We don't want to see position players throw or whatever, like do the things that's going to help it help the game enhance it. There's nobody on the planet that wants less commercials. So make the, make the shorter, the faster games make, make sense. Right. They want, you know, more, more action, right? How does a pitch clock make more action? How does a shift make more action? There's still going to be more strikeouts next year than there were this year. There's still going to be more walks and those are the two problems. And there's still going to be more foul tips than ever before. Yeah. There's three things that they didn't fix at all. And I, more hit by pitches than ever, I believe, this year. Well, guess I think what? they've created a menace on the base paths, too. Like that <coughs> lim- limiting how many times a pitcher can go to first base. Boy, I don't like you know that. What's one. That's in there. It's uh, going to create catchers going to first base, like with <laughs> between each pitch. And, and, and they're going to start <laughs> holding more. They're going to step off. Like they're going to do all the things you hate, right? Like, uh, well, actually, they're counting step offs. Okay, then they're just going to hold the ball. Um, yeah. Well, look, yeah. before before we get um, on to something else, because we've been so focused for it with you with the catching, let's talk about it from a hitter standpoint more mm-hmm. with like, okay, forget like you made a great point, batting gloves, sweaty hands, getting things. I mean, there's a lot going on, but there's also just like, that thought process when you're when you're working account and try and and and, yeah. and the things you need to do in between pitches mentally and stepping out and ga- and gathering your thought um you got to be back in the box within like seven or eight seconds to me like as a hitter i get stressed out thinking about that because there are times where that's fine but there yeah. are times whenever i don't I, I don't want any kind of time clock on that i mean how does how how do you think of that as a hitter well the game's so different than even when i when i retired after 17 that these guys are like kyle kyle schwarber's a great example like he's changed his career by you know when he went to boston right before he went to boston he started hitting the elevated fastball because everyone was falling in love with spin rate that forcing fastball well he started saying i'm gonna get on top of that bad boy and do some damage and he did and the fact that he did was a big, big deal because most guys can't even fathom trying to do that. So, like, if guys are keeping that approach, sorry, I don't want to let my computer die. Um, if they're keeping that approach, <laughs> the reality of it is, is, like, you have to think. And if you're not thinking, you're losing. And these guys don't want to lose. So you're exactly right. Like, the analytical department that are creating these game plans, they're not making the time go slower, right? They're, they're looking at their – their wrists, they're doing this. There, there's so much going on. It's become a thinking man's game too. And yeah. that, that isn't anxiety because if I played right now, I would bet on percentages. I would look at areas. I'd look for pitches. I'd go off that guy, how he feels and what he tends to go to. And it, it's also going to create some really cool things as a player and an analyst. You should, the pitch calm and the, and the, the anxiety of what you're talking about is going to let, let hitters see tipping a pitch is like crazy. You just wait. I totally agree with you. And that's what we talk about all the time on this show is like the unintended consequences of things. Mm -hmm. And you're just never quite sure until they implement things and they're implementing so many things right now. 
boy, is it a Pandora's box, you know, guys? Hey, what do you so, say we get for it with a loaded question here? We got a loaded question from the launch pad. Uh-oh. <laughs> you ready? Launch pad. I like the name. Yeah. We call them TLP because we don't feel like typing it out. But yeah. <laughs> it's a. Uh, do you think the Pirates will make their first significant commitment to a free agent under this regime this offseason? So first, I'll let you define what significant is. And do you think this offseason is when they go out and try to take a swing? I wish I could say yes and no, um, but I doubt it. And the, the reason why I say that is because where do you put them? You know, like maybe first base, you don't want to just a true DH because like you want to be able to rotate your players. But like you also, they, they, there's so much firepower and uncertainty of how good these guys could be just with a year, year in the winter, knowing that they're going to be big leaguers, having a really good idea and a really good game plan of what they want to do. Ono Cruz saying he wants to be one of the best players in baseball has to make everybody just ecstatic. Key Brian just taking a step forward, hitting. And you just look at this, Swinsky just putting the ball in play 15 more times would make him an unbelievable talent on, on paper. So you're just looking around, and then you're not talking about Nick Gonzalez. You're not talking about, you know, all these big guys that are underneath that either played hurt or had a tough season. If they just take a step forward, I mean, Ortiz was our 20th-rated prospect. Nobody thought he was coming to the big leagues, right? De Los Santos, nobody knew him. He didn't even get protected. Like, there's a lot to be optimistic about, and they're not going to put people in their way, but I'll tell you right now. If there's someone available that can help them right out of the gate next year and he's in their budget, they're going to grab him and people are going to be in the, in the minor leagues to start and they're going to shuffle guys like crazy. That It has to happen at some point. Like people are going to get yeah. traded, it's going to piss people off, but like there's going to be a, a reality behind it because when Sherrington thinks it's the time, I think we all have seen he's not going to wait. He's going to go. He's going to go as fast as he can. I think I agree with most of that. I think I see more obvious holes. For instance, I, th- I think first base is pretty obvious. Any first baseman they have, I believe they either have to create. That's the one I, I agree completely with. They either have to create it by, say, making Cal Mitchell, whose arm has come into question in the outfield, might be a candidate to move to first base. Now, I can't speak to his footwork. I'm not going to pretend that I know whether he can do that or not. But something like that you could see having to take place. Um, catching, obviously. They have to bring in a veteran catcher. Because no matter how good Andy is, they have to fill that hole. Yeah, the, none of those seem like – those aren't significant. Like I Starting, yeah, starting, starting pitching, pitching is, yeah. though, because yeah. while I agree with you, I can count about eight guys that I think can contribute right now to that starting room next year. Man, do I want a veteran. And even if it was Quintana coming back, and more so, man, they have to have a lefty. Have to. Yeah. <laughs> I have something for you guys to think about, and – you guys said you do a YouTube uh, show after this. So like I just theoretically bear with me here. So like, I think if they can go out and get, you know, one or two free agents um, and, and sign them, whether starting pitching or not, I think the more important thing is lock up JT Brubaker. Okay. Just bear with me. Say JT, you have a chance to start we really like you in the bullpen. And we see you possibly being able to be a setup guy. Let him go out there and punch tickets. Let things tick up. Kind of look at it really oddly. Like, I think creating what the Braves have and locking in the core, especially the guys that you really are like, I love them as human beings and I believe in them as a human. Don't worry about the analytics. Don't worry about the performance. Lock them in. Give them money now, just like they did Key Brian last year. Yeah. 
say, we're going to give you a little bit more now, give you sign-up bonus, we're going to defer money, and then go out and get Andrew McCutcheon. Get him in here, let him get his, you know, his 400th double or whatever it is, his 300th homer, and celebrate that in the city. Sign him to a two-year deal, give him deferred money and say, please, we want you to stay here after the fact and just be around these guys. No role, no anything else. Go get more guys from Pittsburgh. Go trade for Bednar's brother. Bring the city around this team. Show the commitment that you're willing to have. You know, like they did with Hayes, great. But like, do it now. Like, if you really believe in in Indy or whatever, right after spring training, sign him to an awesome deal like Jimenez with the White Sox. Like, give yeah. him You know, like that made, but it has to be based around quality people because it's a win-win then, in my opinion. Because then if they get hurt or whatever else, they're still pouring in. They're still trying to give back. And they're still trying to do everything they can possibly to help this team win because that's what they see. The other part is I would use money to give incentives. If you're going to be different, you have to be different. Now, I would use a lot of my resources to say the more you win, the more you win, the more you win, the more money I'm going to give you. And it's behind the scenes. Maybe nobody ever knows about it. But we're wondering why, why are guys bunting? Why are they moving guys over? Why are they doing all the things that don't help them in arbitration and don't look good analytically? But they're winning because they're a different ball club. And they're doing well, things you know, pretty different. It's interesting. Well, that's going to have to happen a little bit, just the way things are measured in general in baseball, because, you know, I mean, you can't go by the normal numbers anymore with what they're asking guys to do. So, you know, whether we're talking wins and losses and for pitchers or um, quality starts, you know, how many innings that is like, everything's going to have to be recalibrated anyway, with the way things are going. So um, I agree with you in the sense, you know, um, just just thinking outside the box, the Pirates have to do that. They have to. I mean, so, when you started out talking about Brubaker, I think a lot of people, that is off the wall because they don't see him as like, oh, he's part of the core, like, you know, Mitch Keller or O'Neill Cruz or Brian Reynolds, right? Mm-hmm. I, which I think those three right there, you want to show me you're committed? Well, how, how about I don't have to think about them leaving in three, four years? Yep. Lock them up. But- that's why I, I like the idea of Brubaker. The fact he started that last game is all I need. Well, Brubaker to me is a milk and eggs guy. Okay. Now, a, no, milk, and eggs, like a milk and eggs guy is like, he's the staple that you always want to have in your pantry. Yes. And sometimes you have to go out and buy that exotic spice to, to have the ingredients all come together and make something really good. Yeah, no doubt. But you got to always have the milk and eggs in the house. And that's, the bread, that's, you know. That's point. So I lock up those he's gonna, tier guys like that. Gary, like he's Jay gonna Hay steal that. The by the way, one thousand percent. Well, good. Just, <laughs> I mean, you know where to throw that credit, man. I mean, you got a bigger <laughs> amplifone than I do. So. But no, but like you, you need to to do things like that and lock up those guys that you're gonna have to have anyway. People forget you got to have middle of the rotation guys. You well, got to yeah, have middle of the bullpen guys. Look and at I'm what saying, if you Suter in Milwaukee has meant to that team. Right, and and I'm saying if you lock him up, then he, he's not fighting to stay in that starting rotation when he gets pushed out. He's happy, right? He's he's getting his big league time. He's getting guaranteed money. That changes things for people. And I don't think, like, a lot of times, like, we think like that, but, like, that's a reality. You're signing him because he's that milk and eggs, and if you're worried about him staying healthy, right, he hasn't finished a season yet, like, you can push him to the bullpen. Hey, you're going to be either our long guy, first guy out, or – you know, if his stuff just ticks up, like I think it would, 
He's throwing 97 mile an hour sinker with a nasty slider and breaking ball. I mean, you're talking about a back end of the bullpen type guy that could throw two innings and he's used to it, but that's all like going to happen if, if, if they really believe in a human being and say, yeah, we want him to stay and they get creative on why you bring guys in like pitch cuts to come back and get his final stuff here and say, Hey, we'll, we'll, well defer, he, defer money he does have, him. he does have a lot of milestones coming up. Yeah. Um, that 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 are he lives right here. There, so he lives here. Yeah, right? uh, yeah. There's a huge advantage. Named his kid Steel for God's sake, right? <laughs> I mean, like, come on now. Dude. Yeah, like the the dude belongs here. So, Jim, I think you said you had some something interesting you wanted to bring up to Fort before we let him go today. Yeah, man, I did. I was, um, you know, looking over your uh, career numbers, man. And I was like, let me find something weird in here. Let me. Let me and then spring it on you and see what you have to say about it. So, um, yeah, so let me get to it real quick here and um, see if you even remember it. So tell me parts of how many, was seven, eight years in professional baseball and Major League Baseball? Major League Baseball, 14, I think. Okay, total. Um, but, But in the majors... Tell me what had to happen in 2011 for you to play an inning at third base in a baseball game. <laughs> because, I did not expect that to happen. Uh, see, I dude, I, listen, listen, I will go, I will goal. dig deep. I will dig deep on you, buddy. Well, but, I'll tell you so, the one I thought you were going to say, because I had a buddy ask me about this the other day, but keep going. Finish it okay, up. no, no, no. So, like, what happened? A, do you remember it? B, what was the scenario that you ended up at third with probably someone else's glove, I would assume, uh, playing for one inning and everything else besides, I think you had one game at DH, but everything else was shocker catcher. So how did that all take place? So, um, yes, I used someone else's glove. Um, That was the last time, I think, I I, I think, but that was the last time I didn't have – all the gloves in my, in my bag, the rest of my career. Um, I used to, when I was young, like young, and they just never let me do it. I did it, you know, in college and whatnot. So, yeah. So when that happened, we're playing Milwaukee in 2011. I don't know if you remember that team, Ryan Braun, Fielder, Corey Hart, Ricky Weeks just happened. That first guy ups, Ricky Weeks. He doesn't even know what right field is. Right. Michael's the third base. And I'm like, <laughs> whose who's glove did you bother by or uh, borrow? By the way, do you remember that? Oh, no chance. Okay, it could have been outfield glove. Okay, I, I don't even remember like walking out there. It's my rookie <laughs> season. I just floated. And, okay. All right. All right. Get the ball. Let's get the ball. I want the ball. I want the ball. And I was just thinking, just block it. Just block it. Like take it off the chest, grab it, and throw it across the diamond. So Ricky Weeks, I believe. I don't know if he let off or it was like second order and went Ricky Weeks, Ryan Braun, Filter. And they they shipped that they shifted us over with Filter and then Corey Hart. I'm like, all right, there's a great chance I'm gonna get a ball here. But yeah, they they emptied the bench. And I, I think don't think Domit, maybe it was Domit they that, that was catching. Uh he had to move or he was playing, I don't know what happened, but like Domit had to go behind the plate. I had to come out from behind the plate, go to third base. It was a mess. But that's awesome. That <laughs> I don't is even awesome. Know won the game. I just remember. Dude, I, no wonder dude, you had just... so much sympathy for Van Meter going behind the plate the other day, like, <laughs> like this year. 
I was just glad you remembered it. I figured you would, but you know, there are some things that you just don't remember. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Ford, this was great, man. Thank you for being so generous with your time. I know this was difficult to pull off, but I really appreciate it, man. It was great talk as always. Absolutely. Anytime guys. And like, I I think you guys do a wonderful job and yeah, I hate that it was a little bit difficult, but anytime you want to talk ball, I'm in. Let's do it again, man. man. That this was super fun, dude. I, I, uh, I could do this all day. So, but yeah, thank, <laughs> thanks, Michael. Yeah, Appreciate no it, buddy. Yeah. God bless, guys. Thanks. All right. Thanks, brother. And Jim, how do people get a hold of you, brother? Yeah. So it's uh, for the city underscore 412 or at Jim Stam 22 on Twitter. And you know me with the Pirates and Penguins and Pitt and Steelers. It's all Pittsburgh all the time. So this do you want to go all proud Papa and toss it to your son since you're all. I just talked to Major League Puff Chest right now. You might as well toss it off to Ben and the show. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Fort, you don't know this, but Ben, my six-year-old, ends the show with the Let's Go Bucks. So I'm going to hand it over to him right now. Sweet. And uh, go ahead, little buddy. Take it away. Let's go Bucks!